0: Hi, it's Henry, aka Cairo, here to remind you to check out the care warnings and transcript in the episode description. Grab a nice drink and have a safe listen. Mythale presents Circe's. Episode 9 Skin Deep. Oh, Elias. Lovely to see you. Are you catching up with some of the sessions? We're behind schedule. Oh, we really are behind. Better get to it then. Wait, Elias, I'm your superior. You can't assign me sessions. I have a patience, so. Have fun, will ya? I know your schedule. Emergency. Nothing I can do. <laughs> Bye. I can see his schedule. Emergency my ass. Uh, is this recording? Right. Okay. Um, it seems it's my turn to run the show. Uh, Elias had some kind of half-baked excuse ready about him being too busy today. I-, I noticed I'm schedule as a good manager sh- should, but uh, well, that's enough complaining from me. I picked up a random session from the box, which seems to be case file 1848464-20. A session with Simone Donahue. It was written on the 16th of November, 2020. Session recorded on the 26th of November by Cairo Timor, manager and therapist at Sunshine Valley Mental Institution. Let's get to it. I grew up with a rather strong stomach, one that could handle whatever life threw at me. I was born in a poor town, and I'd seen just about everything, you know? Bumps behind bars and hookers with johns. Then there was this rotting dead guy in the woods behind a convenience store. Guess he didn't find it very convenient, judging by the fact he was hanging there like some fucked up piñata. Sometimes I think about how weird it is that no one found him before me. Not that it matters, but... Uh, Anyways, my point is, I know what dead people smell like. And not in the funeral sense. More of a waterboarded, decaying flesh kind of way. I really can't recommend it. It's not like moldy lasagna or a dead possum of the freeway. It's foul. The hanging guy wasn't even the last dead guy I saw. Small towns are poor healthcare, you know? It's not like a few stiffs ruin the property value. I guess when you seem to stumble over one once a week, someday you kind of just go, oh, what the hell, and make a career out of it. So I became a mortician. A lot is probably going on in that nugget of yours, and you must be wondering, who the hell would dream about touching dead bodies? But as I grew up, all the gory crap started growing on me. Then one day I heard the mortician's assistant had skipped town, and I applied that day and was hired the next week. Not much competition, you know? Not really anyone's first pick. I didn't care that people never really knew what to say when I told them about my job. I didn't need them to understand. It seemed our brains just weren't wired the same. What I found interesting was that people often scrounged their noses at the mere mention of the dead, giving me some half-assed comment about how they didn't have the guts for that stuff. It was hard to find people who shared my weird interests, which surprised no one. It just made it that much more exciting when I did meet a like-minded person. Someone who knew all the ways to care for the human body. Post-mortem, of course. I had Alfred, my mentor. He was old, but we spent so much time together that it was hard not becoming friends. Alfred Adams had been a mortician for decades, and he knew more than anyone else i had ever met. He told me how his father had pressured him into becoming a doctor never taking Alfred seriously when he said he didn't want to. And to be fair to good old Alfred, he did try his best to satisfy his father's wishes as he packed up his bags and moved into the city to study to become a surgeon. It didn't seem to catch his interest as much as he hoped it would, but he did discover his true passion while he still attended the school. So I guess his father is still to thank for the brilliant mentor I had the joy of learning under. Because when Alfred had overslept one morning... He had hurried to try to make it in on time, or at least not miss more of the lecture. That was when luck turned a loving eye on him, and he stumbled into the wrong classroom. The class was a mini-lecture about what happens if a patient passes away in the hospital. A mortician was invited to explain the ways he would handle a body after getting a call about a passing, just to give the young minds an idea of what occurs after they've handed over a responsibility of the dead. As he listened to the older man who had many years of embalmment on the skin of his hands, his mind was made up. He'd jumped down the steps as the class was dismissed to spill his thoughts of admiration to the man who would one day become his mentor. I understood the admiration Alfred had for his mentor, as I was placed in the hands that had been taught by him. Alfred is one of the best men I've ever met, a master at his craft, with an understanding of how to handle the families as well as the bodies as the years have passed. I've handled all types of people, from someone's grandmother to a Jane Doe. And I later got to study facial reconstruction and didn't expect to like it as much as I did. Suddenly, I had this awesome power to transform the few mangled bodies we got into who they had been before, or at least something a tad closer. I told you about the strong stomach it takes to work a job like mine. I'm not only telling you that because of the visual discomfort seeing a dead body can give. I'm also warning you because the stench of a dead or rotting carcass was, as I described earlier, more disgusting than anything you can imagine. I'm writing this down because of something that went wrong, I suppose you can say, while I was on pickup duty back in October... 2020. It was getting close to Halloween, which meant all the homes around town had decorated their front lawns with an all-worldly selection of spooky decorations. From fake mummies to carved pumpkins that the kids had definitely gotten an adult hand to help finish. I like Halloween, in a weird way. It makes my job feel very fitting, despite the fact that I do it every other day of the year, and not just Halloween. It's the only time when people seem interested in my job but uh, that's besides the point. I had been called by one of the nurses at a nearby mental facility. A patient of unknown origin had passed away throughout the night. I had got my removal kit ready and immediately headed towards the asylum to avoid the body decaying more than necessary. It's impossible to get the stench of rotten corpse out the car seats. I No one makes it seem like I see humans as slabs of meat, but... That's not true. I've just learned from experience that sometimes people decay faster than you think. And as I said, corpse stench ain't it. I knew the facility was a good 40 minutes drive away. So I grabbed the first CD that had been cast aside on my desk to keep the mood up as I made my way to the asylum. The last song on my CD played its final notes as I pulled up to my destination. I hadn't had a pickup in this location before which made it even more eerie as I looked up at the dark gray bricks that towered over me. I don't know why it gave me the creeps, but it had the same kind of exterior as the old asylums you would see in horror movies. I would just have to bite the sour apple and get this over with. I had a corpse waiting for me. At least it didn't have anywhere better to be. I pushed through the big wooden door and into the enormous entrance. Staircases stretched out far, like in an old castle. The room was evenly lit up by chandeliers. I took a deep breath and made my way towards the front desk, where a woman in her thirties or so sat and knitted some unknown shape. She didn't look up at me as she spoke. She just told me to walk up the stairs on the left and make my way to the tower by section four. I didn't feel like staying around to ask any more prying questions. The woman didn't exactly give off the chattiest vibes. I made up my mind that being lost was better than continuing that weird conversation. So I grabbed my kit along with the stretcher and I was more than unsatisfied to find out that the asylum didn't have an elevator and I would have to drag my stretcher up the unholy amount of stairs that led to the fourth section. With a sigh, I made my way up. It took way longer than I had anticipated to drag my things up the stairs, but as a sign indicating I had made it to Section 4 came into view, I let out a sigh of relief. I almost jumped out of my skin when a voice piped up behind me. It was an older woman, probably in her mid-sixties, her body slender, dressed in an outfit that looked very similar to a nun's habit. She asked if I was the mortician there to pick up Jane Doe. I nodded, a tad too startled to answer. She nodded for me to follow her, and I grabbed a tight hold of my stretcher and made my way behind her as she spoke. She told me about the Jane Doe. The woman had been brought in by the police the day before, and she had some kind of mental breakdown and was said to be a danger to herself and others. She didn't have the answers as to why she had been placed with them, since she seemed to need more medical attention than what I had been given to her before she came here. She had come in with a wound across her face, or that was the best guess she could give me since the woman's face had been hidden by a red streak bandage. She fumbled with a set of keys that seemed to belong to a hefty-sized lock, before pushing the creaking door open. The smell hit me like a ton of bricks the second I entered the dimly lit room. The body was splayed out on the padded flooring, and from below it, a yellow, greenish, gooey liquid oozed out. I could feel my gag reflex tempt me to hurl up the breakfast I had hurriedly shoved inside me this morning. I had seen countless bodies in my life, and nothing about this one seemed like any newly deceased corpse. "'It's horrid, isn't it? I had no idea how it ended up in such a dire state,' she said. I agreed with her, my shaking hands reaching for the kit I'd placed on the stretcher. I knew I would need to use a body bag, since, despite my training, I had no way of knowing what the mystical liquid that oozed from her body was. The mask I had been given kept out only some of the smell. Even as the body had been placed inside two tightly sealed body bags, I could still smell the putrid rot coming from inside. The stench was so strong, I could almost feel it catching onto the skin of my inner mouth and throat. I wanted to cry and squirt my body till the skin was peeling off in bloody layers. Yet I had to pull myself together, wheeling the body of Reginae Doe down the stairs to my hearse. Getting up the stairs had come to me way easier, since there had been no weight on the stretcher. To my horror, as the wheels made contact with the sloping staircase. I lost my grip, and the stretcher plummeted down the stairs, the body slamming against the wall with a sickly crack. The goo spread across the gray wall that I made contact with just a second before. I expected to hear a scream from just about anyone who had been around to see it, but no one was there. The hall seemed to echo that sickly crack with the smell spread around me. I wanted to run. My eyes landed on the body bag, which had opened up like a horrific pinata. The corpse lay mangled, and I could have sworn the body had entered some new fucked up stage of decay with maggots crawling through the cheeks of the woman's now-uncovered face. The gashes on her face were leaking some blue liquid. I couldn't hold back my scream anymore as I ran, not caring what would happen when the staff found her body. I sprinted to the car, my lungs burning. The door opened with a strained creak as I almost pulled it off its singes. I just had to get out. The car squealed when I pushed the pedal to the floor, spreading a cloud of dry dirt and rocks flying through the air in an attempt to escape that god-awful place. As I was driving away, I took a last look in the rearview mirror, and I swear to you, I saw her mangled corpse waving at me from the doorway of that place. Her mouth gushing out that same blue liquid. Safe to say, I bolted home without a care to inform Alfred. I parked the hearse outside my apartment complex and ran into the bathroom. The stank of death stuck to my skin, causing nausea to rise in my throat. I scrubbed my hands vigorously before frantically jumping in the shower slathering on soaps and shampoos with the strongest scents. Nothing worked. No matter how hard I scrubbed or how long I soaked myself in the strong chemicals, it stuck. After a night spent unable to sleep because of that damp smell, I got so desperate that when I glanced at the bleach in the corner, I didn't think twice. I pulled the lid clean off, breathing heavily. I wanted to scream when the normally strong-scented bleach now had a disturbingly neutral smell that blended easily with the rot. I closed my eyes tightly, stretching the bottle above my head before dumping the liquid all over my body. A feeling, almost like I had been on fire, spread faster than I could react. I screamed as my skin was turning red. I remember turning the water on again, hoping to save myself some of the damage. But it was too late. My skin blistered within a few days, adding the oozing smell of infection to the rut I already couldn't escape. I was going insane. I knew I was. I wish I had called for help earlier. But you've seen what happened to me. I'll spare you the details of what happened to my nose, but... It serves as a reminder that I'll never be free again. That smell will follow me until the day I die. I will do anything to speed up that process. The, um... The session ends here. I've uh, read up on the rest of the files given with this session from Simone. I would assume her condition could be explained by a case of PTSD from her close contact with the dead at such a young age, which could explain her olfactory hallucinations, also known as phantasmia. In my time here, I've never seen a case of such long-lasting phantasmia, since it often ends by itself within a few days or weeks. But what bothers me even more, after having read up on the place she was going for her pickup, is the fact that the asylum that Simone claims to have visited was closed down in 1967, said to have been run by nuns. The building hasn't been renovated or bought by anyone. It's stood empty ever since. The police have searched the place for both the body and any other signs of human life with no luck. They reported that the place was in dire need of repair and it wasn't safe for human habitation. Simone did give a statement about the body she had seen that day. She described the deceased woman as being around 167 centimeters with dark brown hair to around her shoulders a noticeable birthmark on her right arm, and wearing a torn blue one-piece with a letter belt. The police report stated that the resulting sketch of Jane Doe matched the description of an 18-year-old woman, Adelaide Barker, who died in 1998. She had been killed by three slash wounds to her body, one over her face. My best guess would be that Simone had seen the murder case back when she was a little girl, and the whole scenario was a hallucination that occurred during a mental breakdown. She must have been the first person her brain could fill the gap with. Unfortunately, I can't follow up with Simone, as she passed away two months ago due to unknown reasons. She was found with three slashes over her body. One over her thigh, one on her stomach, and one over her face. We are still waiting for any rational explanation after her autopsy over a month ago. Um, uh, Recording ends? Circe's is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. Today's episode featured Alexander Bauna as Elias Emanuel Short Henry Johannesson as Cairo Midas Timor. It was audio edited by Els Sadi and Henry Johannesson Manuscript edited by Talia Hoylund, Els Sadi and Rita Bauna And written by Alexander F. Bauna If you like the show, you can rate us on your podcatcher of choice, or even donate or buy some art on our Ko-fi. Want to know us better? Join our public Discord. All the links are in the episode description.